This year, for, for Father's Day and Mother's Day, we're going to do something a little different. From time to time, I talk about moms and dads and honoring moms and dads. And then other years, I, I take those two as an opportunity to talk about family and talk about building godly families together. Because that's what we're about at Village, being a family and building families. And so this year, we're going to talk about applying Scripture to the family and how do we teach in the home. How do we teach our, our young men and women to grow up to be godly men and women? To be adults that will then have their families and continue to serve God and, and to be about God. Teaching is one of those weights of parenting, isn't it? Those of you that are parents, it's a constant weight. And, and I think every week there's times that we look at our kids and like, oh man, I should have taught that. Or why didn't I teach that? Or why didn't I get that? And, and it's, that, that's parenting. That's part of the long process of obeying God as we parent. Moms, I, I honor you as well because I know that much of the daily responsibility of teaching falls on you. As, especially if your husband's the sole breadwinner of your house and you're with the little ones all day. And it's a wonderful thing, right? And it can turn into a hard thing like that as they go from this joyous moment to this unique moment of please don't kill each other. But moms, you're teaching all day. Dads, you're teaching as well. And when you get home, that's important. But we want to talk about how we teach our kids. I, I love something I read about what my mother taught me. My t- mother taught me prayer. When I spilled grape juice on the carpet, she instructed, you better pray the stain will come out of that carpet. My mother taught me there was something higher than logic from her decisive words, because I said so. That's why. My mother taught me foresight. Make sure to wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. My mother taught me irony. Keep laughing and I'll give you something to cry about. My mother taught me stamina. You sit there till that spinach is finished. My mother taught me about weather. Looks like a tornado swept through your room. I think I heard that from my wife this morning about one of our kids. <laughs> my mother taught me the circle of life, science. I brought you into this world. <laughs> and I can take you out. <laughs> no, we, we laugh about these things, but we teach. Parents were teaching all the time, right? And, and we have different roles in that. And, and who's with the kids? Is all, we're always teaching. And so sometimes we, we scour the Bible and we're looking for verses on family, right? Or looking for verses on parenting. And sometimes I, I hear from people, and this is why I want to talk about this today. Sometimes I hear, well, there's just not a lot of verses. I wish there were more verses on being a mom. Or I wish there were more verses on being a dad. And, and we can think through specific ones in Ephesians 6 and Colossians and, and different verses. And, and those are great verses, But this morning, I want to reorient our thinking to how to apply Scripture to the family. Because so many times we're looking for a verse that is explicitly about family, and we're missing thousands of verses that should be applied to our family. How many verses are there in the Bible that talk about family? Almost all of them. Almost all of them. Let, let 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 me explain this a little bit. When we read a command that says, love one another, okay? And we think, oh, that's the church. 
I should come on Sunday and, and love you guys, which is great. That is definitely one of the applications. But if I think about it, my wife is a one another. And I start to apply that at home. My kids are a one another, right? And so that verse, while it's not dads do this, it's saying love one another. And moms and dads, where does teaching start? In the home. It starts by what we model, what we practice, what we teach. And if it's not in the home, you're going to struggle to come on Sunday morning and do it for an hour and a half. The home, I like to say, is the test bed or the lab for how to start to put these principles into practice. So any verse that talks about how to live a godly life, how to treat others, it starts with application in the home. And and, and if you think through, when we studied how to study the Bible, and some of you have, and and we use a couple of acronyms. Sometimes we talk about observation, interpretation, application, right? You observe what's in the text. You interpret. You figure out what it means. Study and, and, and seek commentaries or godly counsel. And then you apply it to life. Or on, on your rooted reading cards, we, we have a different acronym, REAP, which stands for read, examine, apply, and pray. It's the same three steps, just with prayer added on, on the end. But the thing is, when we come to Scripture, when we look to interpret it, we're looking for the interpretation of that passage. And there's, there's one main interpretation of that passage. But application, there's all kinds of different applications, And there's a multitude of applications of how to take that biblical principle and apply it to different parts of life. And so when I I read a command like love one another, I am going to apply that differently with my neighbor than with you. Because we're the household of faith, the family of God, and so there's a deeper commitment that needs to be here than someone that, that maybe I should still love, but it's a different commitment. Maybe a better way of thinking of it is, I apply love one another differently than with my wife than any other lady in this room. Praise God. Now, it's the same biblical principle, right? But I, I'm not going to run up to the other people in the church and kiss them. It's, it, it's a different application. And so when we study Scripture and when we talk about these principles, if we're to build godly homes, we need to start asking the question, Not just, how can I apply this to my personal life? In the Western culture, that's where we go. And then if we're really spiritual, we say, how does this apply to the church? But what we want to do is also ask, how does this apply to my family? Moms and dads, how does this apply to raising my kids? And we can take any verse that does it. One of of the texts that I use in premarital counseling every time, and, and a bunch of you have gone through this with me, we go, we're studying these verses on marriage, and then we go to Philippians 2, 3 through 5. And, and it talks about not thinking too highly of yourself and putting others before yourself. And, and sometimes couples are like, well, that's not about marriage. I'm like, yes, it is. This is like the key verse for marriage. Learning to esteem others more than yourself and, and put others' interests above your own and having the mind of Christ. Do you see how that applies to the home? It doesn't say for marriage. It doesn't say for the home. But it's a verse of how to live. And we can take any of those and apply it to the home. And so today in Father's Day, I want to take a familiar passage in Romans 12, just full of great teaching. And I, I want to, to practice what I'm talking about to show you what it is. It, it's, it's, once you start thinking this way, it's like, well, that's easy. That's okay. Let's practice it together and let's take the easy and pound it into our heads and get it to be a train of thought. And so we're going to go through Romans 12 and a whole lot of the principles in Romans 12. 
And we're going to ask the question, how does this apply to the home? How can this apply to building a godly home? And, and this is an example of what you can do with any passage. I put some questions there. If we're in the family, there's some helpful questions to ask of the text of how to apply this to the family. The first is, what would it look like if we lived this principle at home? What would it actually look like in day-to-day life if we put this, this into practice? I ask that question to my kids a lot. They're you know, getting into upper elementary now, and so that's a question they can answer. And we'll, we'll study a verse, and, and we actually go through pretty slowly verses and take one principle at a time, and we'll ask, okay, so what would it look like if, if we actually honored each other? If, if we actually encouraged one another? And, and that, for whatever reason, with siblings, it's like pulling teeth. Okay, say something uh, that you appreciate about your sister. Can't come up with something, Dad. It's hard. No, 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 no. Okay, you just, you just criticized her. <laughs> and, and, and so this is the stuff of family, right? This is what, and, but we take that and we say, what would it look like if we put this principle into practice at home? And the second question there is, what are some creative ways to teach it? What are some creative ways to teach it? Now, I I love reading a passage, saying what it means, and saying, let's put it into practice. That's not always the best way to teach my kids. Susie is a master at coming up with these, for anything she's teaching, these tactile things and these illustrations, and and the kids get it. I'm like, why didn't they get it when I lectured them? She she finds creative ways to teach them. And moms, you're great at that. And and that is something that you are bringing into families in amazing ways. Find creative ways to teach text. And it may be thinking about it from different aspects. I guess that's my leaning. But it's usually putting it into practice or creative activities that will teach that. That's going to look different when they're four as as it will when they're 12 or 13. But that's part of teaching. Third question there is the question for moms and dads to ask, similar to question one, but how do we model this for our kids? How do we model this for our kids? If I'm trying to teach encourage one another, and I'm trying to get my kids to encourage each other, one of the questions I need to ask is, how many times have they seen me encourage mom? How many times have they seen me appreciate her and compliment her? If I'm not doing it, they won't do it. Well, they they may if they're forced but they won't internalize it. So how do we model this for our kids? And, and the fourth one there, and there's more. This is just three questions. How can we find age-appropriate ways for them to start practicing this principle at home? Start to practice this principle and out of the home. But how can we find ways to get them to tangibly start to do this? So that's, that's all by way of introduction, how I want to approach the text. That makes sense? Want to do this experiment with me? And we'll take a text that we don't always apply to the family, and we're going to apply it to the family today. So turn to Romans 12. Romans 12, we're not going to get through it all today. And and especially the second half just is is one great instruction right after another that we could spend a whole sermon on each one. But we won't, so don't worry. Romans chapter 12. And what I want to look here is, is what are some of the marks of a godly family, if a family would put these things into practice? What are some marks of a godly family? First mark, and then we'll see this in verses 1 and 2. A godly family makes their relationship with God the family priority, sacrificing whatever it takes to serve, worship, and follow God. Let me repeat that. They make their relationship with God the family priority, 
sacrificing whatever it takes to serve, worship, and follow God. Let's read these two verses. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Just, just out of curiosity, how many of you ha- has this verse made an impact on at some point in, in your spiritual teaching? Like half of you. This is such an incredible, these, these are such incredible verses that deal with our walk with God and how we walk with God. And so I, I want us to think if, if everyone in the family is following those, then this should be characterized, a characteristic of a godly home, godly family. Broke that, those two verses into three sections, A, B, and C. The family that's making the relationship with God their family priority, they will make giving glory to God central to every part of life. They will make giving glory to God central to every part of life. Verse 1 starts, I appeal to you, or some of your translations say, I urge you. Because it's a little bit stronger than appeal. It's an, it's an urgent request, not quite a command, but you need to do this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. And then he goes on to say what he's appealing them to do. Now, just a little bit of the structure of Romans. Chapters 1 through 11 have been just highly theological, right? If you study those, it is some of the richest theology in the New Testament about salvation, about the work of God in our hearts and his redemption. And so Paul here now, that's why the therefore is there. What is it there for? It's there because he's tying now into all of that theology and saying, this is how it better affect your life. If you believe it, this is the difference it will make. See, theology that doesn't affect life is just head knowledge. It's worthless. Yeah, you could probably go teach at a university or something, but you're not walking with God. Real theology will always get down to a practical everyday life. We can't separate the two. There's not a dichotomy. And so what we believe affects what we do. And so Paul is now saying, okay, because of what we believe, this is how you should be. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, because of everything we've talked about, because he's saved you, because he's lavished his grace and mercy on you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Just grabbing a couple of principles out of there. First thing is he says, present your bodies. Now, other places he'll say minds or your spirits or your hearts. But in this case, he's talking about a physical yielding to God. That this is real. It's practical. It should affect real life. We should present ourselves a living sacrifice when we're eating, when we're driving to work, when we're sitting down with our family, when we're watching TV. It's coming together and saying in real life, we present our bodies a living sacrifice. Now the imagery here is one of completeness, of complete surrender to God, that I am going to give every part of my life to God. And so my family, as we, as we say, how do we apply this to family? Everything we do as a family is going to be about giving glory to God, about giving worship to God. Now, the imagery is one of a sacrifice. And, and the lamb that was sacrificed, how much of himself did he give for that sacrifice? All of himself, right? 
And that's why Paul is using that imagery. The lamb was fully committed. The, the, the lamb became the sacrifice. And so God is saying, you don't need to crawl up at an altar and be sacrificed, but you're to be fully committed, a living sacrifice, holding nothing back from worshiping God. It's a giving of one's own life to that act of worship, he goes on to say. Which is, ESV says, which is your spiritual worship. Some of the other translations say reasonable worship. The, the word there is a hard one to translate, and it's only used a couple times, but it's more the idea of this is a, a rational act of worship. That if you understand what God's done for you, it makes sense to give yourself back to Him. And so Paul is saying, every part of you needs to be glorifying God. Every part of you is worshiping God. It brings pleasure to God. It's holy and acceptable when we offer ourselves to Him. Now, now what does this look like? What, what does this look like in a family where there's so many things going on and the schedule is, is so busy? How do we become living sacrifices of gratitude and praise every moment of family life? And so one of the questions we can ask, well, what, what do I need to sacrifice to serve and praise God? Because the word for sacrifice there is one of giving up something, giving up oneself. And that's hard to think of when we are in a world where moms, dads, families, we're trying to do everything. We're trying to give our kids everything and every opportunity. And and, and so everything that comes along we do, do we need to sacrifice maybe sports for a season? Because it's interfering with worship and giving glory to God. Do we need to sacrifice a mom and dad night out because there's someone that needs help in the church. There's some way that we can praise and worship and serve God. Do we need to sacrifice so, some time together as a family where we can just relax and do nothing, which your kids probably don't want anyway. Um, that's a mom and dad thing. When someone calls and says, I need somebody, I'm hurting. See, this is the reality of being a living sacrifice, saying, I will not live for myself. My family will not be just about us and our family. We will be for the glory of God in everything we do. And, and really, is that sacrifice? Is it sacrifice to give up some of my wants to serve the living creator of all things? David Livingston, missionary to Africa, he put it this way when he talked about making a sacrifice. He said, I never made a sacrifice. We ought not to talk of sacrifice when we remember the great sacrifice which he made who left his father's throne on high to give himself up for us. Well, that puts it in perspective. When I talk about sacrificing some of my wants to serve God. And so verse 1, this is a call to commitment. It's a call to be committed to God's work, His glory, His people. How do we show anything that we're committed to as a family? How do we show what we're committed to? Ideas? Time. What we spend time on as a family is what we're committed to. Anything else? Resources, right? Money, yeah. Resources. So time and resources are the big two that show what we're committed to. So moms, dads, what's your family committed to? 
What's taking your time? What's taking your resources? Because God says he's called us to be living sacrifices. Being living sacrifices is hard. It's hard to stay consistent in that. One, one author, an unknown author, wrote this. The problem with living sacrifices is that they keep crawling off the altar. Think about that for a minute. Isn't that our struggle daily? I keep crawling off the altar and saying, no, I'm not going to sacrifice today. I'm tired. I'm not going to sacrifice. I want to do this. We sang today, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. The problem with living sacrifices is we keep crawling off the altar. And so this is a call to commitment. I want to speak to moms for a minute. Thank you for being an example of sacrifice, uh, of how sacrifice works. And, and the example that I think of with my wife and with my mom is, is one of not sacrifice that says, look at me, look at how great I am because I sacrificed, but the quiet sliding of the last piece of cake over to the child who wants it, even though she hasn't had any. Or in our family, the last piece of bacon. As Joe said, the getting up when she's not feeling well to take care of the family. The lunches that I come out to every morning. Those are little acts of sacrifice. But moms, you're showing us what being a living sacrifice means. Thank you. And that's what we're called to be as a family for God and who God is. Let her be there of how we devote ourselves to God and a relationship with God as a family. Uh, a, a godly family will be on guard against the influence of the world in home, dedicated to godly thinking. A godly family will be on guard against the influence of the world in the home, dedicated to godly thinking. Did you catch verse 2? Do not be conformed to this world, impressed on or imprinted on. Is this world trying to imprint our families? Yeah, just watch TV for an evening and see what kind of junk they're putting in shows this year. And they're, they're intentionally, you can talk to some of the directors, they're intentionally sliding in some of the aspects of the cultural revolution or, or the change of morals into the shows. And, and they have this sequence where it's a little bit more and more and more. And Patrick and Lynette, we were talking about a show that we both share a love for that is doing that this year, right? And it's like, okay, we're done. We're done. And, and we see this world trying to imprint. Moms and dads, this world is desperately trying to imprint on your children. And if you're not intentional to fight it, uh, of not being conformed to this world, like verse 2 says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, then your kids will be imprinted on. And it won't be what you want. The word there for, for do not be conformed to this world is often translated, do not be conformed to this age. I actually like that a little better. Don't be conformed to this age. There's all kinds of things being taught and being pushed. And Christians are being mocked for believing something different. Your kids feel that. 
And so part of what we, when we read a verse like this, if we think, how can I apply this to the home? I need to ask the question, how can I help my kids not be conformed to this age? How can I help my kids be transformed by the renewing of their mind? And so that's going to take intentionality. That's going to take me as dad and and, and moms that are here being directly involved in our kid's life. That means nothing they watch, nothing they listen to, nothing they view on the screen is outside of our purview as parents. I don't care if you get, get complaints about, well, I'm almost an adult now. Our high schooler and junior hires are in here. Mom and dad needs to see what you're doing. Because you need that kind of accountability. It's, it's easy enough to be, be browsing the internet and innocently have junk come up. And so we hold each other accountable. And mom and dad, that's your God-given task to help your kids not be conformed to this age. Moms and dads, be willing to say no. Be willing to say no. Your children's souls are on the line. Last night, Mark and I, one of my kids and I, no, <laughs> we were watching Shark Tank, a show that we like. I don't know if anyone, I think Jim, you said you watched Shark Tank. And um, it had been recorded, and so one of the, the presentations came on about women's clothing for big behinds. And Mark looked at me, I looked at him, and, and in a moment I grabbed the remote and I said, you know what, we don't even need to watch this one. We'll, we'll fast forward to the next presentation and, and it was a, a moment where it wasn't a big deal. I didn't do a 30-minute lecture. It wasn't Sunday morning. Um, <laughs> I just said, you know what? We want to keep ourselves pure, right, son? He's like, yeah, dad. Let's just skip it then. We don't need that. That's moms and dads what you need to be doing. I'm not perfect at it. I've got to tell you, sometimes you're sitting there, you're relaxing in the remote control, even though it's two feet away, seems like it's a mile away because you have to move. And so I'm convinced. I'm convicted by that, but is the soul of your child worth moving two feet for? Is it worth them looking at you and saying, Dad, I wanted to see that. No, Mark didn't say that. Man, moms and dads, if we're to apply this verse to a family, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That means you are taking responsibility for your kids. It's on you. It will be on them, but you're training them for that day. Another, another way to do this, how do, we, how do we be intentional about the world's mindset in our homes? Always talk about what you see and hear. Talk through the worldview represented. And, and in so doing, you're giving them a framework, a filter to understand. They're going to see junk in this world. Talk about it. Prepare. As my kids get older and... and Right or wrong, there are some movies or some shows that I will let them see. And, and what we'll do is we'll just stop right in the middle of it and we'll talk about it. And we'll say, okay, what do you see there? Is that right? Is that wrong? What should they have done? And, and, and no, I'm careful what that is, but I want to be part of my kids' lives to say, this is how you process. Red flag, red flag, red flag. That's two girls, it's two boys. They're not married. We can talk about that. So we want to be careful what their input is. 
But then as they do see things, be sure to talk about it. Don't leave it to accident what their worldview is as they see these things. Finally, if they're to be transformed by the renewing of their mind, there has to be input from the Word of God. This isn't all about saying no to certain things, but we need to be replacing that with the Word of God. They need to see that mom and dad love God's Word. They're in God's Word. We talk about it as a family. That the no isn't just, I don't want you to watch that, but the no is, God doesn't want you to watch that, and this is why. I know I need to move on. But that's a soapbox I'm willing to get on because we need to be training our kids, our young people. Let her see there they actively seek God's will in what they do. A godly family actively seeks God's will in what they do. And that's the end of verse 2. And this is the result of the transformed mind and a result of a worldview that says, I will sacrifice self for God. It says that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And the idea is we should be testing and trying. We should be seeking God's will. It's okay if you have a family decision to say, kids, let's pray about it. Let's pray about it together. Moms, dads, if you keep that only behind closed doors and they never see it, you're not modeling it. This goes back to the question, how do we model this for our kids? Bring them into the process. Now, like I said, this comes out of one and two. It comes out of a committed life, a dedicated life, a a life that is fully sold out to God. And the implication here is, if we're not a living sacrifice, if we're not sold out to God if we're not working to have our minds transformed instead of conformed, then, then really, why are you even asking what God's will is? One of the worst things you can do as parents is to live a half-hearted life for God and then bring your kids together and say, we're seeking God's will. No, you're not. Because it's, it's half-hearted. And so moms and dads, we do our kids an injustice. If we're not striving to follow God... And not showing that. And then saying, oh, I hope God directs where we go. It's like pulling up Google Maps and hearing where to go and then ignoring it. Man, that's wrong. (laughs) I get in trouble every time when I think I know better. Seek God's will by being sold out for Him and committed to Him. Now, now... I know that none of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. And every day I have regrets as a parent. And so we can come to these verses and we can say, okay, those just hammer us over the head of how imperfect we are. Remember the first 11 chapters were about God's grace and his mercy. And that's what these actions flow out of. And he will give strength for them, but he will also give forgiveness and grace when we fail. Because you and I are being transformed. Daily, into Christ-likeness, degree by degree. And so model that daily transformation to your kids as well. We need to keep moving. But we do get a, a Father's Day on this chapter too. But do you see how we're taking principles that are there and then applying it to the family? That's what I want to pound into our heads today and, and get us thinking about this as parents every time We parent every day with our kids. Number two there, 
Godly families aren't full of themselves. Godly families aren't full of themselves. In verse 3, it says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Highlight, underline, star. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And he's now moving into body life, and he's going to be talking about spiritual gifts in the church. But he starts by saying, get over yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself. And then he says, but rather with sober judgment or sober-minded. And the idea here is to accurately think of yourself. To not think of yourself as, as too high, but also to realize you're made in the image of God and given gifts to serve the kingdom. Either extreme on this goes into it's a devastation. But we need to evaluate how God has made us, how we can contribute to the church family, how we can cr- contribute to our own family. And be careful not to think too highly of ourselves. So again, thinking in terms of family and what family tools can we use for this, we, we, this is one that every one of our kids probably struggle with. Well, maybe not certain personalities, but most of us struggle with pride. Most of the kids at some point will say, you're the boss of me, or I know better, or let me do it. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have them do things, but we've got to start from day one and be consistent to helping them see that bragging about things and having a puffed-up spirit to help them see that that is wrong. We've got to address it. Your kids, you'll you'll see better-than-thou attitudes. We've got to be there giving them input that says, no, we are sinners saved by grace. God loves us. We are in His image. But that attitude won't be tolerated. This is one that, again, is another soapbox for me because I think so often we instill this attitude instead of counter this attitude inadvertently as parents. When we, when we, how far do I want to go on this? Let's just talk participation awards. When we puff up our children for everything they do. Now, I'm not saying you don't encourage your children, but we've got to be realistic When they can do no wrong, we are teaching them to think more highly of themselves than they ought to think. Be realistic. Encourage, but also give areas to grow. You know, one of the things moms and dads, beware of criticism of others in the home or even critique of others. We sometimes put that under the heading of, I'm teaching my children from our experiences. No, what you're teaching your children is to think more highly of themselves than they ought to think that they are better than other people, to think that that criticism is justified. So when we have conversations and say they should have done such and such, we're teaching our kids to be puffed up. And we're not encouraging, we're not building up the body of Christ. We are sinning and passing that on. Another way parents have to really fight this is it's so easy to be defensive of our kids and can do no wrong. In a school setting, we see that in some families where their kid never has done anything wrong, ever. And it's always the teacher's fault. It's always another child's fault. It's always another parent's fault. And what they're teaching is to be proud, to think more highly of themselves than they ought to think. So beware of defensiveness when someone else instructs your child. 
here's my message for today. None of you have perfect angels other than my parents. It's always an exception to the rule. None of your kids are perfect. And we've got to stop telling them they are. Now, I'm not saying criticize. I'm not saying come down on them every day. Be encouraging, but address sin as sin. Put them in places where they're under others' authority. Because then they're learning their place and how to, to act appropriately. Don't think too highly of yourself. Third one there. A godly family fosters opportunities to explore and use spiritual gifts. A godly family fosters opportunities to explore and use spiritual gifts. And I have an A and B under this. It's a great section that we've studied. We study it in the shapes cl- shape class. We study about finding our spiritual gifts. But again, let's reorient our application today and say, how could this work itself out in the family? So verse 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. You get some great principles there that we teach with spiritual gifts. A, A godly family, though, celebrates that we have different gifts and we need each other. And we know that in the body of Christ. We know that's why God didn't give any one person all the gifts. If if he gave one person all the gifts, it would be mayhem because that person, wow. And so he spreads the gifts out because then I need you and you need me and we need each other and it, it fosters a humble spirit that pleases God. So think in terms of the home. How do we bring that home? How do we... How do we help the kids see that we are members of one another? We need each other. We all have different skills. We all have different strengths. Christ is the head of the body. And, and, and there's ways to do that. And it's, it's going to look different again when they're young and when they're older. When they're young, you're really focusing on household chores, saying thank you to someone that does something, giving encouragement to someone that else that does something in the home. Have, have your family say things like, I, I think you did this well. Thank you for doing that. I'm not sure I could do that. Moms and dads saying that to each other so they see the mutuality in marriage. Another way of of helping them start to do this is to give each member an opportunity to serve in the home, even if it's not as good as you can do it. But to give them opportunities. You know, there's so many times that that I'm working on something in the house and my sons want to help. And... Sometimes my, my brain engages and I'm like, yeah, you can. I know it's going to take longer, but here, here's how to do it. And sometimes my brain just completely leaves me and says, I got to get this done. We have to go and, and go, go play with your mom or talk to your mom. I guess you don't play with mom. <laughs> and I missed an opportunity at those times to start to teach my kids that we are one body with many members. And so this is a spiritual principle that we start to apply at home as we build a godly home. Letter B is verses 6 through 8. A godly family uses their gifts well. I guess I didn't fill in the blank for A. Godly families celebrate that we have different gifts and need each other. And B, they use their gifts well. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Get out and use If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching... And he gets a little more specific, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, but to the one who contributes 
in generosity and he's dealing with an attitude of how we use our gifts. The one who leads with zeal, putting his whole heart into it. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. It's not a chore. So the instruction is for us to use our gifts well, but as a family, we're to use our gifts well. And this is going to come under the category of modeling. How are we modeling this? How are we practicing this? No, are we taking our kids to ministry opportunities? Are we as a church giving ministry opportunities to, to kids? It is so incredible to see kids serving beside adults in Second Harvest. Moms, dads, if you want to put this into practice, that's probably the prime ministry to go to with your kids because you're serving together, you're teaching. Yes, we're giving food to those that need it. And, and yesterday was, was just an incredible opportunity. I got to share the gospel with a, a young man for 30 minutes. And that's what it's about, but it's also about teaching our kids how to serve. And that's a place you can serve side by side. There's all kinds of other. We have young people um, doing ushering, and, and you guys are great with that because we're giving opportunities. This is the, the, the pulpit that I gave some of my first sermons in, and you still talked to me afterwards, and, and you still loved on me, and you took these feeble attempts at ministry and you gave opportunities and you helped refine. That's what we do in a family. We show our kids that we're in ministry using our gifts well and we give them opportunities. Number four, we move on to the next set of verses and from here the verses, the instructions come just hard and fast. And they are just great instructions, and we'll see what we get to today. Um, the verse 9 says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And, and let love be genuine, we'll, we'll grab in the next point when we talk about loving each other well. But in this, in number 4, a godly family abhors evil and holds to what is good. This is similar to what I already talked about, about the world conforming us and imprinting on us. The, the word for abhor is to see it as despicable. Do we throw up a little bit in our mouth when we see evil around us, when we see evil on TV? It should bother us. Evil should always bother us. Moms, dads, do your kids see that? That's so essential for their development. And again, it can be a conversation. That's not right. Man, that, that's hard to see because that, that defies God and His creative order. That's not bringing glory to God. That's, that's insulting to God. And so we say these things. You know, a, a great way to think of this is what if Jesus was in our home? What if He was watching what I'm watching? What if He heard the conversation we just had? Would He abhor anything? Because what He hates, I should hate. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And so the other side of this is celebrating what's good. Celebrating what is right. You know, so, so moms and dads, again, on the modeling side of things, if, if we talk one way around our kids and another way when we're with our friends, and I see it all the time. I, I, I see us have family values when the kids are around, but then a bunch of guys get together and I'm like, you can't be talking about that. What is going on? And your kids see it. We need to be consistent to abhor what is evil. Hate what God hates. Love what God loves. 
was a university student who had filled his wall with indecent pictures away from home. And he received an unexpected visit from his mom. She never said a word. She didn't give any indication she noticed them. Before she left, she just hung a picture of Christ right in the middle of the other pictures. That is a brilliant mom. (laughs) When she visited him again, the only picture hanging on the wall was Christ's. (laughs) God had radically changed the heart of her son. She was willing to not be complacent, to be intentional, and to show him the comparison of what is good and what is evil. We're actually going to stop there today. Four things. We'll catch the love each other well and outdoing and honoring each other and on Father's Day when we continue with the passage. But my takeaway for you is more than just these four things that make a godly family. Now, those are, those are important. Those are great. But start to look at Scripture of how can I apply this to every part of my life? How can I apply this to family? How can I apply this to marriage? How can I apply this to work, to, to the place God has me now? Now, I know some in here don't have families. And this is preparing you for family. Some of you, your family has left the, the, left the building, left the nest. And so you have great influence as grandparents. You don't stop parenting. And as grandparents, you have opportunities to do these things and to, to support your children to model for your grandchildren. But let's be committed to building godly homes and finding tools to build godly homes. Today is a day to honor moms. And one of the ways we honor moms is to build strong homes. As I talk to moms and, and Christian moms in particular, one of their deepest desires is to see kids that are walking with God to see kids that are following him with their whole heart, that are living sacrifices. And so a a topic like this can be so precious on Mother's Day because it gets to the heart of what we want families to be. I'd like to close in prayer and pray through some words that I read a few years back, but realizing that there's all kinds of emotions on Mother's Day, all kinds of, of emotions that come up when we talk about honoring moms. To some, it's a great day. And sometimes it's a really hard day. And so I just want to bow our heads for a moment and pray for you as moms, as you are examples and sacrificing to train your kids. Lord God, I lift up the moms that are here. I pray for strength for them. I pray for encouragement to them. Lord, to those who gave birth to their first child this last year or maybe are expecting their first or second child this next year, I pray for strength and we celebrate with them. Lord, I pray for those that have lost a child this year or lost a pregnancy. I pray for your comfort and your strength at a difficult time that often goes in secret. Lord, I pray for those moms that are among us who have the little ones that are in nursery and preschool right now, that are in the trenches, that they would know they are appreciated, that they would know they are making a difference, that they would persist. Lord, I I pray for those that would love to be moms, but can't. 
whether that be through infertility or, or broken dreams, you haven't brought the right person along yet that you have for them. Lord, I pray for their hearts to be whole, for healing, that you would be with them with their disappointment and hurt. Lord, I pray for the foster moms that are here with us. As that is a unique and special ministry that is often thankless, but help them to know that that is making a huge difference in those children's lives that they may not see now that may bear fruit 20 years from now. Lord, we praise you for the families that we have here that have warm relationships, that are close. And that is because of you. And we praise you for that. Lord, I pray for those that have lost their moms this year, that you would comfort and give peace and give strength. Lord, you've given us moms. In your intentional design and creation, you have designed moms to have incredible roles in the family, to impact little lives like no other. Thank you for that. May our moms not lose heart, but know that they are appreciated today. In Jesus' name.